morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to the coaching staff. Myself and Mr. Tony Viss is on the other line. I've got my loyal dog, Charlie, sitting next to me in the pen and a napkin studios, and we are ready to go on this fine Monday evening. We are recording this a little bit earlier this week because Tony and I have some pretty hectic weeks ahead of us, so we're squeezing this in here. Episode number 58, and we're going to talk about tracking statistics in practice today. Some of the good things, some of the bad things, what can you do, what can't you do, so forth and so on. So uh, we're going to dive in here in just a second. Tony, how how are things with you, my man? Uh, it was good. I had an unexpected day off today, so I didn't teach Friday either. I took a day off to go to the Packers game last Thursday, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, who knows? I may never go back to full-time work again. <laughs> well, some would argue you haven't worked full-time for 30-plus years. I mean, <laughs> There's a good number of people in that camp, I would agree. <laughs> Administrators, parents, <laughs> students, <laughs> former coworkers, <Colleagues>. yeah. <laughs> the janitor, the other janitor. Lunch ladies, uh, bookkeeper, yeah, 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 pretty much everybody. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Hey, congratulations, Tony. Well done, buddy. So, uh, hey, let's get into some uniforms here. Uh, number fifty-eight. I've got some. Uh, I've, I've got four linebackers and a reliever, a closer, if you will. So. I say I know one of the four linebackers, so why don't we start there, and then maybe after some good hints, I'll get one or two more. But Carl Banks for the Giants, back when the Giants, you know, had their linebackers with LT and Harry Carson, and I'm missing one, but Carl Banks was a big part of that. Yep, uh, he is. He is the fifth one. I added him on there because I should have. I should have put him on, and I did not. But oh crap! Yeah. So now I've got four that I'm I'm struggling on. Um, okay, so one of the jacks from the Steelers was it Lambert or Ham? Lambert is okay. in there. Yep, got the better that one. one. Uh, I have a contemporary to Carl Banks. Um, played at Wilbur the Wilbur Marshall. Wilbur Marshall. There you go. Because uh, the Bears had him and Singletary. Yep. Otis Wilson, maybe. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, next linebacker uh, came a generation. The next generation. Uh, I believe he had his name up in the ESPN world based on what uh, uh, Khalil Mack did yesterday. 90s. Dominant in the 90s. Kind of a poor man's Lawrence Taylor. Did you say a team he was on? Sorry. Um... It'll kind of give it away, um, but I can. Uh, Chiefs? I think it was Chiefs. Chiefs, 58. I think it was. They had like Derek Thomas and Neil Smith, but he would have, those would have been earlier than this guy. Nope, it was Derek Thomas. It was Derek Thomas, okay. Yep, yep. In the Hall of Fame. Tragically died at the age of 33. Yeah. Um, he got in a car accident and died two weeks later. I had forgotten about that. Yeah, man, I forgot about that. Um, the last one is still active. Last player is still active. Ooh. He no longer wears number 58. I think he wears, like, number 40. 
was it uh, plays with the Bills now? Oh, man, I am struggling to play the Texas A&M. Yes, he did. Um, yep. Oh, crap. His name is escaping me right now. Super Bowl MVP. Two-time Super Bowl winner. Yeah, with the Broncos. Um, Von Miller. There, there you go. There you go, buddy. And then um, closer, uh, famously, uh, I, I want to make sure I'm accurate with this hint here. Uh, come on, come on, come on. No, he's probably too young for that. Um, yeah, uh, closer for the Red Sox. Jonathan Papelbon? There you have it. So... Here's a fun fact for you, Tony. Okay. I looked up NBA number 58s. There has never been a player in uh, NBA history that has worn number 58. <laughs> Did not know that. Yeah, now you do, buddy. So, huh. ah, so. No 58s in the association. No 58s ever. No one has ever worn number 58. So, um, All right. Well, hey, let's jump in here. Tracking statistics in practice, and Tony sent me, and I saw the tweet myself. Uh, he sent it to me from Craig. Do, uh, Craig, and, and you know what? I had Craig on the pod, and he we we text back and forth every once in a while. Craig Doty, Doty, Craig Doty, I think is how you say. Yeah, it. I think Craig it's Doty. Doty, um, and he gave it was a really awesome like spreadsheet form to track statistics in practice, and. You know, as we move into the analytical world, even at the high school level, we're moving more and more into analytics, and we want to be able to objectively, as much as we can, uh, take your take the eye test and combine it with data to make the best decisions for us that we possibly can. And uh, Coach Doty got us thinking there about that, and and Tony kind of pitched the idea. So, uh, Tony, what were you kind of thinking with this, buddy? You know, a lot of times when you take a look at basketball and some of the other sports, you know, I would probably exclude track from this. You a little bit more subjectivity in it. You know, mm -hmm. some of it obviously has to do with the style of play and different things like that. But, you know, I was wondering, is there something out there that maybe puts a little bit more of the objectivity in it? And, you know, this came across my radar and I was like, huh. And so began to look at it a little bit, you know, and, and, things that go along with it and i was like they have some really good ideas on there there's there's some concerns and stuff you know as far as is it feasible to to be able to make it work because you know it's a lot of film it's a lot of manager stuff it's a lot of whatever yeah and you know it, it takes takes a you know a village to do all this but at the same time it would it would help when you go to make decisions on who's in your lineup who is you know uh, off the bench, who's your best free throw shooters, uh, and different things that go along with it that would give you some stuff to think about. Yeah, so I thought we'd start with the benefits and the drawbacks of it, Tony. I, I thought that would be kind of the, and and this is, um, kind of some coach's dream type of stuff. Like we would we would all love to be able what what Coach Doty does with his staff. Um, I, I had I had about three or four benefits, and I had about three or four drawbacks with it, Tony. Um, the benefits, of course, uh, you've got a lot of data to go upon. Uh, you can, you can really see how things flush out as, as you move 
as you move forward. Uh, it's you can narrow it down to the tangible information, and and Coach Doty and talks about what's important to his staff, and you know whatever that is, you know, uh, it puts a daily pressure on your players. They know they are literally getting they they know they're getting evaluated every day, but they're getting evaluated even further every day. Like there there is empirical data. There is. Uh, you know, the stats usually, not always, but usually don't lie. And so that puts the daily pressure on a player to have to perform because if they don't shoot it well, it's going to be in print and people are going to see it or they're going to see it. Um, and it is, uh, it, it's a consistent evaluation, kind of going along with that daily pressure. It's, it, you are consistent. These, most of these things are things that players can control. Uh, it has nothing to do with how good the guy is that you're guarding or how good the other team is. If you deserve to play, you're going to make plays on down the line. So uh, with with Coach's system, those were about four big benefits for me. Uh, did you have anything to add to that, Tony? You know, the, the thing I, I take a look at is, you know, obviously it's something that you can manipulate mm-hmm. and make fit what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, if you value something more, maybe you give more weight to that. Um, but yeah, I, I think I like the ability to manipulate it a little bit. I like that it takes some of the subjectivity out of it. But the one thing I would add is that I believe that basketball, you know, besides having some science to it, also has art to it. And art, you know, that old quote, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I think you can take and, and manipulate that a little bit too for you to fit your style of play. Uh, but yeah, there, there were some, some really strong things about this. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, yeah. And, and I think that the, the benefits, if, if you have the ability to do it, uh, the benefits far outweigh the drawbacks. However, there are some drawbacks. And Tony, you talked about a couple, you want to expand on some of the drawbacks of this? Yeah, some of the concerns, you know, I was kind of looking through his stuff again, and I think he has like five or six different coaches that, that go over this with them. Um, you know, obviously, I have an assistant. I don't have, you know, five or six. And then he mentioned, you know, the managers that, that take the time to, you know, to film the practice, to staff the practice, and, and different things like that. You know, those those would be some of the big concerns. And the other thing, too, you know, that I, I, I hesitate a little bit with, is the fact like it doesn't factor in who are you going against you know it, it, it that, that that worries me a little bit mm-hmm. because if you get say you have a 30 person team and instead of going against the top five you're going against the bottom five of that 30 as you're in there obviously you're going to look a little bit better than maybe you normally would and so can you manipulate some of that stuff a little bit too to uh, be a little bit more how do i want to put it to be a little bit more fair with your your analytics Yes, uh, it it can skew it. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. uh, I've started listening to the Ryan Ryan Rusillo uh, podcast a mm-hmm. little bit, and you know, he he always says the greatest uh, statistical skew in all of professional sports is the quarterback who uh, is down to is down two touchdowns with two minutes left, and they score. They go on. They go seventy five yards in a minute and a half, and they score a touchdown. So he's got seventy five yards and an extra touchdown pass against a shell defense, trying to keep everything you know in front of them and killing clock. You know, which which is a great point. So you go from a two hundred yard passing day to two hundred seventy five yards, and now all of a sudden you look a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think that. Uh, that can skew things like you were talking about, Tony. If, if you've got, like you said, if you've got your top five going against your bottom five on a 25, uh, on a JV varsity situation, yeah, that's that's going to skew some things here. So 
I also agree with you. Um, time, effort, and manpower are the three things for, for most of us as high school coaches that are going to, to skew this and make it more difficult for us to do. Uh, but I do think there are some things that we can take from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so what Emporia charts and and you could go to to coach coach Doty's uh twitter feed and i don't have it in front of me right now but i think it's at coach d yeah is that what it is okay so i believe that's right okay um i'm coach Doty. i'm sorry at coach Doty. at coach Doty. d-o-t-y uh here's what they chart uh they chart wins and losses and winning percentages uh field goal percentage and i think they even put effective field goal percentage which involves a little bit of math which two social studies teachers would go cross-eyed with uh, three-point percentage, uh, free-throw percentage. Uh, they, they chart rebounding. Uh, they chart paint touches, both offensively and defensively. Uh, traditional assists and comparing assist to turnover ratio, so they're charting turnovers as well. They're charting steals and blocks. And then just some other things I put in the category of, of what I call the 30,000-foot observations, you know, mental mental errors, defensive rotations. Uh, I'm sure there's other things that they throw in there, Tony. Um, out of that list, what are some of the things that, you know, again, in our situations as most high school coaches, it would be difficult for us to do all of those things. We don't have the time. We're, we're teaching most of us are teaching lesson plans on the Constitution or Algebra 2 or whatever it may be. If you were to cherry pick uh, some of the things that you think is is practical, and what Coach Doty and his staff do as well, as you said, Tony, they film every practice, then they go back in, they rewatch the film, they evaluate the film, they, they, they chart out the film, they make cuts for their players by the next morning. Uh, a lot of different things that, man, that would be awesome to do, but for us it's hard to do, but... I think there are some things that we can do if we so choose. So what do you got there, Tony? Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching. And during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. You know, the things that I liked, uh, you go back to shooting. Obviously, it's one of those things that's an important statistic because it lets you know who should be shooting the basketball. You know, whether it's from three, whether it's free throws, whatever the case may be. Um, One of the big things I liked in there as well is wins and losses. You know, I think that sometimes in, in practice, you know, if you're playing, you know, a quick small-sided game or whatever the case may be, I think that can be just kind of glanced over and, and you know, we focus on, on other things instead. And I think it's important to see, is there a common denominator 
in a group that wins all the time. If a person goes 4-0 and on the day, that's important to note. And so you want to make sure that you're doing that. Um, I think rebounding is a big one just from the standpoint of, you know, he even mentions in there uh, Pat Riley's quote, no rebounds, no rings. Yeah. Um, and I think rebounding is a huge, huge statistic. And so that would be something. And the other thing I like a lot, too, are the assistant turnovers. You know, I want to know those those players that are making that correct pass to the open player that leads to the shot being knocked down. And I also need to know uh, who's throwing it to the team that's not wearing the same color jersey. Yeah. And so those would be probably my, my top five, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, how many? So how many kids do you have on your team typically, Tony? Uh, we're probably in the twenties. You know, I'm guessing we'll be a little over that this year. For your we're for your sophomore mid team, the low twenties. For your sophomore team, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you've got you and your assistant. Yep. And then you know it kind of depends. You know, last year unfortunately we had several injuries, so we had those guys. We try to keep them as involved as we possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, but one year we had a kid that had to miss the season because of an injury, and so he was there every day, and he would do whatever we asked him to do whether that was stat or whatever, but at most it's me, an assistant, and then if we're fortunate enough to have a manager or an injured player. So at most, on an average year, you might have three people there, you, your assistant, and maybe a manager that that you have, and obviously you're worried about coaching it. Your assistant is probably worried about coaching the other teams, so it's, it's hard to have that manager capture all of that stuff. You know, so, but, but, you know, like, like what you could do on your practice schedule is say, okay, we're going to, you know, whatever, like, and I don't know how you put yours together, but, you know, you got 20 kids, let's say, okay, here's our four teams of five today. And on the, on the Cougar drill, uh, which team won today? Okay. This team won. And you circle on your practice, your practice, uh, uh, your practice schedule. And you can kind of keep track of that. And you can do certain things like that in a shorthand fashion on your on your deal um you know spreadsheets with like free throws like you're, you're shooting free throws in practice you can you can keep track of that stuff so there are little things that you can do but and i'm guessing the vast majority of our coaches listening are probably in, in a similar situation like you aren't they i would guess so i mean i don't think we're probably getting the big time division one coaches listening to us but yeah. i would guess those coaches yeah. like us that yeah have a love for the game, want to continue to evolve and get better at coaching, uh, probably at that, you know, sophomore varsity, uh, maybe even junior high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, Coach Steele from Miami told me he listens to every episode. So, <laughs> hey, there you go. So, um, I really think, like I said, wins and lo- losses, I think you can chart. I think, like, in shooting drills, you can do some field goal percentage stuff and i was gonna say sorry tony i I lost my train of thought i know that's hard to imagine uh this year we should have uh somewhere between 18 and 22 girls out and we have four coaches and i know we'll have at least two managers um and probably three or four so we would have three or four managers there in practice that we could trust a little bit once we kind of now we would have to keep things very simple for them but you know, we could we could do this maybe a little bit more than you could just because we're the varsity team. Now, mm-hmm. what's what's John working with? John will probably have in his gym maybe a few less guys than I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, probably low twenties. Uh, but the one thing that he has a little bit of a benefit too, we've got a huddle camera where yep. he's practicing at. 
So he could film his and then it'll be uploaded by the time he gets home and he could rewatch it that way. But he's also going to have three assistants and at least one or two managers with him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got that going for him. So again, a difference between freshman level, sophomore level versus JV varsity level type of a thing. too. Mm -hmm. So uh, free throw drills, like I said, I, I think then, you know, for a lot of coaches, uh, you can, you you can, you could come up with a quick and easy spreadsheet to, to chart your, your free throws every day, uh, whatever those may be. You can you can do some things with like shooting drills and stuff like that. Um, but I also think if you've got a manager or two, you could say, all right, today, Billy, I really want you to, when in this drill and this drill and this drill, I really want you to chart paint touches. And it's up to you. You can say, you know, hey, fellas, we're charting paint touches today. Or you could say, hey, you know, remember how we talked about where we're really struggling getting the ball, keeping the ball out of the paint? Well, in that 20-minute scrimmage, the ball got into the paint 22 times, and that's that's not good for us. You know, red team, you let the ball in the paint 22 times. So I, I, I think that there are ways that you can compile data in practice uh, that will help you depending on your situation. If you're if you're a team that's struggling to rebound, you know, uh, there, there's there's ways you could chart that with a manager or two or, you know, different things like that. And, and I think that there are things you can do uh, to, to do that. And I think when you do that, and, if, and now one of the things that I also think is really important is if you decide to commit, you're telling your team on November 1st, you're getting geared up for the season, uh, and you're saying, hey, we're going to chart free throws every day because last year we shot 52% from the free throw line. We've got to get up to 63 64% as a team this year. It cost us games. And you go down that whole coaching diatribe that you and I have been down there before, Tony. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to chart free throws every day. And if you don't do this, if you don't do that, then blah, blah, blah. you got to commit to it. And, and, if, and if by D- December 15th, you're not doing that anymore, then you've lost some credibility with the kids. If you're making a big deal out of it on November 1st, and I think this is where you need to be important or you need to be smart as coaches. You need to be organized and you need to be aware. Uh, We all like to talk a big game. We all have these pipe dream ideas on October the 2nd. But what are we going to be able to do, legitimately be able to do on January the 2nd? I think that's something that this conversation kind of indirectly brings about, Tony, is... These are these are great ideas. These are great concepts. I'm not saying don't lift some of these things from Coach Doty and his staff, but you also have to know what resources you have, what your time situation is, the qualifications of your managers, the qualifications of your assistant coaches, what their time is. Have to be respectful of all of that. And if you don't feel like you can do it consistently on January the second, then you shouldn't be doing it on November 13th when you start practice. 100% agree with that. You know, if you're going in and you're saying, hey, this is something that we're basing playing time and minutes Perfect, and, and yeah. you know, who gets to shoot and all that good stuff and things, you've got to commit to it to the whole year. It can't be a, you know, uh, let's do it for the first six weeks and then, ah, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm overloaded. I'm trying to break down film. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. I, I can't keep doing that. Um, if you if you commit to it, you have to commit to it for the long haul. Like Coach Doty, uh, in his thing here, tells you he's been doing it for nine years. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's you know you have to at least commit to it for the full season. Yeah. And then at the end of the at the end of the season, if you have some issues, 
then maybe look to try to change and, and, and modify it to fit what you do. But at the same time, this, this is something that you can't go and just dip your big toe into and then kind of halfway it. You've got to go, you got to go all in. And, and, and all in, I mean, just commit to doing for the whole year. Not all in, you got to do every single statistics that he does, but you've got to, you've got to keep doing this throughout the season if it's going to be a priority for you. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I think that's, that's the important thing, Tony. You pick what you want to do. You pick what you want to chart. Like for us, um, we are not going to do this, but I'll use us as an example. Um, we we turned the ball over way too much last year. Uh, now there were a lot of different circumstances and reasons why we why that happened, but we turned it over way too much. So if I'm in that situation now, I I, I think we're going to be okay. I'm not going to overly worry about it now we're going to see how the first few weeks go but this is not something i'm going to come out charting day one uh but if i chose to do that and i chose to do that from day one then i got to come up with a system that i can do this on a on a daily basis and explain to my kids why and if that's where i decide to dive in then that's where i dive in you know coach again coach doty and and any probably division two staff at the very division two or up um, they have the manpower, the resources, uh, a, and the ability to uh, to do this type of stuff and, and have it really make sense. We're not saying, I, and, and I think you agree with me, Tony, we're not saying don't do these things, but probably as high school coaches, you got to pick your fights. But whatever yeah, you decide to do, And the thing, too, well. is, you know, Marty, with this, like, Excel's a big deal. If you can get an Excel program, you can do a lot of this legwork ahead of time. Like you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, you know, if your kids are shooting 10 free throws, 20 free throws, whatever, you can write that on your practice. You know, if they're shooting threes and say they're shooting a three from the five spots for a minute each, how many did they make total? Mm-hmm. Have them come and tell you that. That takes like 10 seconds. You know, so you can do some of the legwork. Then when you get into watching the film you know you can go in like you mentioned that you're really into assistant turnovers that can be what you really focus in on your film or and maybe even include rebounds and then you've got kind of your big five or whatever highlighted there but like i think where you're going i don't know if you can chart as many different things as what he's charting with the limited resources that we have Mm -hmm. so what are some things tony and and this would probably be more when you were a varsity coach and you had less numbers and more help in, in, in most of your stops along the way, what are some things that you have found to be important for you to chart over the years? Or what are some things that, that you've done that, okay, if I was going to chart, you know, this is what I did at Harlan, maybe that, that would fit into this. And, and this is how we did it. Or this is what I did at Kennedy or Audubon or uh, any of the other places that you're at. Yeah, I mean, it goes back because basketball is a made shot game. So if you yeah. if you make shots, you're probably going to win. So we really would would keep track of of shooting percentages. That was a big one that we did, um, you know. And maybe we needed to track like different types of shooting percentages in terms of you know shooting percentage going to the right, shooting percentage going to their left, shooting percentage off the bounce, you know, and, and different things that go along with it. Shooting percentages off of, uh, you know, coming off a stagger screen or whatever, but maybe getting into a little bit more that way. Um, but those were, were big things because, again, it's a, it's a made shot game. Yep. And then you go back to uh, we like to play fast. And one of the things I tell our kids with playing fast is we should throw the ball away less rather than more because we're shooting it way, you know, 
a lot quicker than some teams. We're not trying to string together six, eight, ten passes. We're probably going to get a shut up in two to four passes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would chart the turnover things. Rebounding was big. One of our big team goals is we wanted to out-rebound the other team by 10 rebounds. And so that's something that we would chart would be reboundings. And one of the things I really kept an eye on with our rebounding was who was our leading offensive rebounder because those are extra you know, touches that you don't normally get. And then you take a look at most of the time off an offensive rebound, you make a bucket on those 70% of the time. And so those are things that we also wanted to keep track of, too. You know, how many extra possessions are we getting off those extra possessions? How many times are we scoring it? You know, is it a 70 percent clip? Is it a 50 percent clip? You know, just some of those things were were things that really stood out to us, you know, that we highlighted because we knew that if we you know, if we did those things, that more times than not, we were going to win. Here's here's three or four things that I've done uh, just to give folks uh, an idea. Every once in a while, we'll do like a, a league type of thing. So so once a week, we're going to do four-on-four four versus a box uh, to work on our zone attack stuff. And for 15 minutes once a week, we're going to be in the same teams all year long. And, okay, how many points, you know, we, we could do it by wins. We could do it by how many points that you've scored, uh, that type of thing. And we've tracked that league uh, along the way, you know. Uh, but it, it works in our favor because, you know, we're, we're working on also team and fundamental stuff there. Uh, so that's something that we've tracked, so to speak. Uh, one of the things that I do, especially early on in the season, uh, especially since I've gotten to my new job, is for the first couple of weeks of practice, I have one of our managers just watch Mary. And every time she shoots, just put a slash. Because we want to, we want to try and average 250 shots per player every practice. That's that's a goal. Um, like you said, it's it's a game where you got to put the ball in the basket. And when I was at my old job, and and it, I, you know, one of the things I don't think I did a good enough job of doing was carving out enough time in practice to shoot the ball and put the ball in the basket. So during those couple of years that I had off. Um, I, I said, we, we just got to shoot more in practice. I just I just have to force myself to carve out a lot of time in practice to shoot the ball because that's the most important skill, in my opinion. You can you can draw up, I can you can take a look at the hundreds of napkins that I've put on Twitter. But if you don't have a kid that can make the shot at the end of that play, it doesn't matter. And so that's something that we've charted a little bit. Um, another thing, you know, free throws are an easy one to chart that, that we've done a lot of. And then the the last thing is, and this is a little bit different of a charting thing, but we always talk about uh, how we need to devote time to fundamentals and practice. And that's when we're putting together practice, you know, how much time do we give to practice? And every year, uh, I won't say every year, most years we go back and I try to chart how much time we spent on fundamentals compared to team offense, compared to team defense, compared to transition and execution and that type of stuff. And I want at least 40% of my practice, and I put shooting in that fundamental category, 40% of our practices have to be on fundamentals. Um, I, you know, a third, a third, a third is okay, but we really want to get up to 40 and even maybe in a perfect world around 45% of our time working on fundamentals because the more fundamental you are, the less time then you you should have to take to 
put in plays or run a bunch of plays because then your players are just making basketball plays if they're even more fundamentally sound. So those are some of the things that we've charted over the years, Tony. I, I don't know what you think of that list. Now with your with your shooting, because you're talking 250 shots per player, are you tracking both attempts and makes or just attempts? Just attempts. Just okay. attempts. We we want to we want to get up 250 shots every day. So Riley, Riley's one of my managers. R- you know, Riley gets to the gym before everybody else because she's awesome, and she and I'll say, Riley, watch, uh, watch Ella today, and just and and it starts from the moment Ella comes in the gym, and her first shot for a warm up, and till till she leaves the gym. All right, how many times did Ella shoot today? Well, uh, coach, uh, she shot two hundred and seventy five shots. All right, good. We're just gonna uh, hopefully assume that. Everybody got as many shots up as Ella did. How much? Okay. How much did Ella get up today? Uh, 150. Okay. We got to shoot more. You know, we got to shoot more, and that's kind of the way that I gauge it. Now, again, as you get into the season, as you get into February 1st, and you're only practicing some days, 60 to 75 minutes, it's almost impossible when when it's 60 to 75 minutes, and on February 1st, you're probably going to be a little bit more scout heavy uh, at that point of the year, especially at the varsity level. It's harder to get those 250 shots up, but it's always in the back of our minds as coaches that we need to get those shots up, and that's that's kind of the way we think of it. Um, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I'm wrong. Just like I always say, that's what we do, um, and that's the way I look at it. So, you know, and I think that's important too. You know, it's it's never a one size fits all. You know, it's one of those things where it's it's up to individual individual coaches and what works for them. You know, I was reading a thing on Rick Majerus earlier today, and I was talking about he wanted 20 minutes every day of fundamentals. And like Mike, you Mike mentioned earlier, that that's a, yep. this important part of your program as well. I was looking at a thing last night when they were talking about like practice design and different things like that, and they would go. You know, we we usually start off a lot of like ball handling, fast break type work. And then they went right into offense. They would go into, you know, some offensive stuff and they would conclude with some defensive stuff, which I thought was very interesting because we kind of go fast break stuff into defensive stuff, then off, or, or sorry, yeah, defense stuff, then offensive stuff. And uh, for whatever reason, I just thought it was a, a different way to do it. And that would be something that maybe I need to look to do a little bit more often is go, you know, fast break stuff into offense and then conclude with defense rather than always doing it the, the same way every time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs. And now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available for you, to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information, you can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. Well, you know, Tony, there's one, there's one group of people that don't do the same thing the same way every single time. You know who I'm talking about. Europe's never the same concert twice. No, it's not.
Here's a fun fact for you, Tony. I just noticed this. Europe has 1.1 billion views of the final countdown on YouTube. And without us, they would only have 100 million views of a final countdown on YouTube. We should start getting a kickback of the royalties. I think, I think we should. I think they owe us. I really do. So, <laughs> uh, Trivia. It's your it's it's your turn to throw out the trivia question, Tony. All right. All well, right. yesterday the New York Liberty defeated the Connecticut Sun to reach the WNBA finals and set up the showdown between the teams with the two best records, them and the Las Vegas Aces. Las Vegas won the title last year. My question focuses more on the Liberty. How many years ago were the Liberty in the finals? Two thousand and two. And that is correct. 21 years in between final appearances. I believe Becky Hammond was their starting point guard. And if I also remember, I think uh, Sandy Brundello, who is the current Liberty coach, was a player for the Miami Soul, if okay. I remember correctly. Something like so that. I think this is the first time in WNBA history that the two coaches in the finals have been former players. Yes, yes. So... I, I gotta tell you, Tony, this this leads into the natural segue. How about that? We got our twib segment, and I, I tell you, I I told Tony before, I think I did more homework on this than I did my entire high school career uh, just today because we got a lot of really really good stuff. Let's let's roll into the WNBA finals. Uh, Tony, I, th- I think the semifinals kind of played out the way we thought it would. They did. You know, both teams were pushed. You know, we obviously talked last week with the Sun winning the first one and the Olden Liberty to 63 points. And then after that, the Liberty raised their games and, and you know, and the, the cream kind of rose at the top, if you will. And then Vegas, uh, Dallas was competitive, don't get me wrong, but they, they're not as quality as I think as the Sun are. Yeah. So I think the Liberty were pushed a little bit harder in the semis, and that may benefit them as they get ready to play the finals here shortly yeah i i I don't want to say i'm i'm nostradamus so so to speak but i thought and i believe i said it on this podcast tony the aggregators can go back and check it if they would like i said it was going to be 3-1 in favor of the liberty and it was going to be an absolute dogfight and that's kind that's that's basically what happened um three of the four games uh the Sun played very, very well, and you could make the argument that they could have won this series three games to one uh, because in, in game two, they were right there. They kicked the snot out of Liberty game one, and then uh, game two, uh, they were right there, um, had a chance to win. Game three, the Liberty really rolled, and then game four was a dogfight to literally the last possession. Uh, so... Um, I, I think you're. I think you're good there. A um, little bit of a layoff. I would be more concerned about the Liberty if they had to roll into the finals. You know, today's Monday. If they had to roll into the finals like Wednesday or Thursday, I'd be a little bit more concerned with the uh, wear and tear that they had against the Sun. Uh, but they've got a week off. They don't tip off till next Sunday. I think the the Liberty are going to be just fine in their recovery, and, and I think it's got a chance to be just epic, epic stuff. So what, what do you think, bud? I think it's the most talented uh, finals. I think they said there were five overall number one picks that will be playing wow. in the finals. 
um, which is which is outstanding. It's going to be a big time celebration of women's basketball. I think it'll be uh, just a fantastic finals with the two best teams by far, um, you know, there. And that was the one thing with the Sun that I was so impressed with. They lost their best post player. Still were able to give Liberty everything they wanted. Um, you look at the difference in roster, and obviously uh, the, the Liberty roster was a lot more talented than what the Sun was. I thought Stephanie White, uh, who was the WNBA Coach of the Year, uh, showed why uh, in that semifinal series. Um, and then as you get ready to, to for the for the finals, I still wonder if Candace Parker is going to be able to make an appearance. Nope, she's not. done. She, I did she's see that. She's done for the year. She's done for the year, yep. Okay, so that would be where I kind of would lean towards the the Liberty in this one. I just think they're a little bit more talented, Um, you know, and that's hard to say when you take a look at the the squad the Aces have together. But I just think with the Liberty's height, John Cole Jones is going to give Asia some fits with her length. Um, and being able to making try to make Asia finish over, I don't know how many thirty point games Asia will have in the finals. Yeah, I, I I have I have the Liberty in four. I have the Liberty in four. I think it's going to be really really good. Uh, I I uh, you know Asia versus Stewie is going to be a heck of a matchup. Um, I don't know how much they're going to guard each other, but they will. They definitely will. Uh, I. Uh, Sabrina Inescu versus Kelsey Plum, my namesake. Uh, just for the record, we are not related. We spell our names the same, but we are not related. Um, but I think that's going to be a great matchup. Uh, I, I think for, for me, Tony, I look at it as which one is going to dominate in their particular situation more. Is John Quell Jones going to dominate in the post area more than uh, Young and Gray are going to dominate on the perimeter against Vandersloot, and uh, I can't remember the uh, number forty-four. I can't remember her name right now, um, but you know who I'm talking about the the yeah. other the other perimeter yeah, player. It, I'm trying to think. Is it, uh, oh, crap, Leger? Maybe I'm not sure how yeah. if that's right or not. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I think in those matchups, I, I think essentially Asia and, and Stu are going to pretty much cancel each other out. I think Sabrina and Kelsey Plum, for the most part, are probably going to cancel each other out. So it comes down to basically can, let's say, Kia, uh, Kia Stokes is guarding Jonquil Jones. You know, can 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 Stokes win that matchup uh, better than the, the, the perimeter matchup for the, the Liberty and, and vice versa, if, if that all makes sense. I, I think that's because I, neither team is terribly deep. Uh, it's, it's going to be the top five against the other team's top five for the vast majority of the series. And, and I think that's where, I, I think that's where it's going to be one at, in, in my opinion. It's Lene as the as forty four who's you're yep. thinking about, yep. Yep. but yeah, they refer to her as the glue on that team. And I would, would hundred percent agree. I just think, you know, with with the Liberty, they put five players on the floor who can score it. I know yep. if you go through and take a look, uh, Vandersloot's not the greatest scorer in the world, but at the same time, the way that she assists, um, I just and, and Kia Stokes are really really good role player, but I don't know how much she's going to score. And so I, I just I would give the starting five edge to the Liberty. I think the Liberty's bench is a little bit better too, mm-hmm. um, and so and, and and I say that with with. Uh, 
I believe the Aces have the sixth player of the year. Uh, but I just think the Liberty have a few more pieces off their bench. It's a little bit better. But I would give the coaching edge to Becky Hammond. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. I can I could definitely see that. So, um, yeah, I think it's just I think it's going to be a great series. Should be a lot of fun to watch. And uh, did you give so? What's your prediction, Tony? I said I said Liberty and four. I think it's going to have to be four because uh, I, I, it goes to a fifth game. That fifth game is obviously back in Vegas, and I would think that puts it in Vegas's court. But I think four is fair. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter. Send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. So next up on our agenda, and again, this, this is probably going to be our longest twib segment of the week. Um, we recorded last week and we said, hey, this is what the Central Division is going to look like and the Bucks are going to be this and... 20, literally 24 hours later, uh, they have a new starting point guard named Dame Lillard. Hit a couple of big shots in his career. Um, you know, kind of your, I mean, and then, which was to be expected. Uh, I, I don't think anybody had any uh, illusions that Drew Holiday was going to stay in Portland. They were going to spin him into something else. Uh, and he, uh, I believe, was yes or yeah, was it yesterday or two days ago, Tony, uh, that he got spun to Boston for Malcolm Brogdon, uh, Robert Williams, Robert Williams, and, Williams some, uh, and, and some, yeah, some 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 picks. So, um, and then Phoenix got involved. Portland ends up with DeAndre Ayton. Um, you know, kind of your overall thoughts here. Um, the the Adrian Wojnarowski of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. What do you what are you thinking here, buddy? You know, I would say, in all honesty, I, I kind of I'm waiting for some other moves to be made by Portland. Um, I don't think that Malcolm Brogdon's going to stay there. To be honest with you, agreed. Um, I could see I could see them moving him uh, to to the Clippers, uh, just from the standpoint of. I think that the Clippers uh, are realizing that the whole James Harden thing is going to be uh, maybe something they don't want to get into. But at the same time, you've got two desperate teams in the East with Philly and Miami who haven't made a move. And I don't know if getting Malcolm Brogdon is going to appease their fan bases. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like they've got to do something. And so I feel like Portland can maybe ratchet the price up and get even more out of Malcolm Brogdon than maybe what they normally would. Um, and then they, they're talking about that they want to hang on to Robert Williams. They want to pair him and Aiton together. Uh-huh. Um, you know, if that's the case, I, I think that's that, that's okay. But it wouldn't surprise me if they if they get the right trade offer, they would move Robert Williams as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like what Portland did. I mean, if you go through and take a look at the players they got and the picks they got, I just think they did a really really nice job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the thing I go back to with Phoenix, um, Durant and and uh, Booker do not trust Aiton. He yeah. had to go. Yeah, uh, getting yeah. Nurkic in there. 
uh, is, is a pretty good move on their part. He'll be able to anchor that defense. And then the one thing you kept hearing about the Suns, very top-heavy, Durant, Booker, um, and then Bradley Beal, but lacks some some depth and lacks some pieces around them. And we were talking about that, obviously, with the Liberty and the Aces. And then they go and they get some other nice pieces to fit in there. And so I'm not I'm not really down on what Phoenix did. I don't know if you give up on a 25-year-old, because Aiton's only 25, looks like he's 35, but he's only 25. <laughs> um, I don't know if you give up so early on that but at the same time if your two best players don't trust them you, you need to do something and so they did i think the best they could in a tough situation um i like dame going to the bucks uh the one thing i, I worry about a little bit um is dame is not the greatest defender in the world mm-hmm. um you know and if you take a look at some things there that would that would concern me a little bit he's got to have the ball in his hands quite a bit and I think the Bucks are pretty efficient when Giannis has the ball in his hand so how is that pairing going to work um, and I, I just like the true holiday fit with, with, with the Bucks. I just thought he was really able to do some things for them uh, that, that fit their, their team very well but when you have uh, Giannis saying hey uh, I need to look and see what you're going to do or I may go elsewhere mm-hmm. they did what they needed to do to keep Giannis happy yeah. Um, but I thought for all three teams, I would say that the big the big winner, you know, Dame is a, is a huge get for them. But I think the big winner, when everything's said and done, depending upon what they're going to do with these players and the picks they got, I just really like what Portland did. I really like what Portland did. I'd probably slide Milwaukee into that second spot. And then Phoenix is not such a distant third. I, I like what they did. If there was ever a win-win-win trade, this might be that trait. You sound like Michael Scott from uh, Conflict Resolution there. There's a win-win-win <laughs> scenario. <laughs> that's, that's where I get most of my t- material from. <laughs> After you haven't worked, you and Michael Scott haven't worked for 30 years either. <laughs> yes. Uh, what do you feel about Boston getting Drew Holiday? Because yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's, I think it's uh, to me, I look at it as like, one continuous transaction at this point, you know? Yes. Um, so, so how do you, how do you feel that fits in? I liked, I like that from the standpoint of Malcolm Brogdon wanted to go. And yeah. one of the things I'm concerned a little bit about uh, with Boston is the, the, uh, I don't say it, the chemistry and different things like that, because they, they've really changed their team. Yeah. Uh, you know, you lost Marcus Smart, you lost Robert Williams. Um, and in return, you've brought in, uh, you know, Drew Holiday and Chris Dapps Porzingis. And so I, I really wonder culture wise how that's going to fit. Uh, but I, I look at Drew Holiday, not quite the defender that Marcus Smart is. But he's in that area code, and he's better offensively than what mm-hmm. Marcus Smart is. And Porzingis could help provide that that third score because I think Holiday will fit whatever role you want him to. But the big thing with Holiday that I was a little bit concerned with that I didn't hear is is he going to sign an extension? Because he, said he just is. gave away Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon and some picks for a one year rental. I have some huge concerns for you on that one. He said he's gonna he he wants to keep playing. He's not gonna retire. He did say that. Um, so I uh, so yeah, I kind of I kind of put this in as like basically one continuous, like I told you, one continuous um, transaction. And and I really thought I, I thought Boston got the best end of the deal in that 
uh, like you said, Marcus Smart is a tremendous defensive player. Drew Holiday is a tremendous defensive player. Probably you could you could make the argument that they're one A one B and perimeter defensive players in the league, but Drew Holiday plays much more in control offensively and is just much more skilled than Smart is offensively. Mm-hmm. And Marcus, and I've seen a lot of Celtics games, and every time he shoots it, I my heart would just skip a beat. Like, uh, no, 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 no. It's a layup. No, I, I don't know if I feel confident about that either. Yeah. Anyway, I, I joke. Marcus Smart is way better at basketball than I'll ever be. So, um I thought Boston ended up being the big winner. Like you said, they ended up being a little top-heavy. Um, but that top six, Holiday, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, KP, if he can stay healthy. Um, and I'd like to think KP is, like, old enough now. He's more mature. He kind of sees the big picture, like, okay, I've got to make this work. Um, I can't have some of my same personal issues that maybe I've had in some other places, allegedly. Again, we're not in the locker room. Um and then Horford coming off the bench for 15 minutes a night. Uh, the Sam Hoosier, Hoosier, uh, Hauser, excuse me. Hauser. Hauser, yeah. yeah. Uh, Peyton Pritchard. I, I, Luke Cornett is a good guy to, to give 10 minutes a, a night. And again, when we get into the playoffs, it's going to be about seven dues, just like the, the Nuggets did it last year. And, and if those, again, just like with everybody, if those six or seven top guys can stay healthy, uh, they're going to be a tough out, but if there's one team that can knock them out, it's going to be Milwaukee. I mean, and I and I went down their top seven or eight. You got Dame, Pat Connaughton, Chris Middleton, Giannis, Lopez, Bobby Portis, uh, Jay Crowder. They just signed Cameron Payne, who's proven to be a finals-worthy backup. I mean, he was Chris Paul's backup a couple of years ago when Phoenix made the finals, so I think he's got a chance to be a quality pickup there. Uh, that's eight guys right there. Um, I, I think with with this transaction, this this two part transaction, uh, Milwaukee and Boston have greatly distanced themselves from everybody else. They are not even just a step above everybody. I really feel like if they stay healthy, are you both talking of, East or overall in NBA? the in the East in the East. Okay. I would 100% agree with the East. You know, they're not just a step ahead, Philadelphia and New York and Miami. They're multiple steps ahead. I really do believe that. Um, I think Drew's a low-maintenance guy uh, from from the stuff I've heard on the NBA podcast that I've listened to. He's going to come in, fit seamlessly. I think he's going to be really good. Um, and, and I think Phoenix, I understand from the theory of what Phoenix did. Uh, they wanted to get rid of Aiton. Um, he was not happy. Um, like you said, Durant and Booker did not trust him. And I understand, I completely understand all of that. And I think, again, kind of like with Porzingis with the Celtics, if Nurkic can stay healthy, I think he's a really good fit in that spot because he's just going to be physical, play defense, get offensive rebounds and put them back in. Um, that's going to be your job. And at 30, he's going to be a lot more willing to do that and have a chance to win than Aiton will at 24 who who wants to show what he kind of wants to show what he wants to do or what he feels like he can can do and uh just a role acceptance as we've talked about here uh it sounds like from everything coming out of Phoenix DeAndre Aiton was not happy with his role and he didn't really want to accept his role and so i see that from that point of view if Nurkic can stay healthy I like it, but like 
Porzingis, he's struggled to stay healthy. Uh, the one thing that the Celtics have, though, is if if KP goes out for two or three weeks with whatever, Horford and Luke Cornett can kind of step in and be good enough uh, to to bridge that gap. Whereas the 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 Suns, because of their lack of depth, they really have nobody other than Nurkic that's a quality big man, and they really don't want to play KP. KD at the five because he's going to take a, a physical beating and at his age you want to protect that as well so that's when we were talking like winners and losers earlier today that's kind of what I was the way I was looking at it Tony I don't know if that makes sense or not so it makes sense yeah so I, I like what Portland did <clears throat> it sounds like they're going to keep Time Lord um, I like Aiton uh, he kind of fits the timeline of these young guards Robert Williams has the talent to be a starter but he has He's he's another one that's struggled with injuries, and and what's interesting about all, uh, you know, these three franchises, Boston, Phoenix, and Portland, uh, they've got big men who have struggled with injuries, and Robert Williams is good enough to be a starting center in the league, but he can't stay on the floor for more than fifty games a year, and and so if he stays healthy, him and him and Aiton could be an unbelievable tag team uh, at the five spot, and actually play together some, and. Uh, and then, you know, they've got a great haul with the draft picks. They're going to get more when they deal Brogdon at some point. So I really like what Phoenix did as well. But I think Boston, just to me, Boston won this. Um, I would put Milwaukee second, a very, very close second. And, man, if, if those teams are healthy going into the Eastern Conference Finals, whew, that's going to be awesome basketball to watch. Um, I would agree. You know, and, and some have talked about, is Boston done because they have a lot of draft picks left? Yep. Boston has to be done because of the salary cap. That That's why Boston, they're not going to be able to go out and get any other pieces, I don't think. And that's where I think Milwaukee is a little bit better just in terms of their depth. Yep. So um, two big losers with this, Tony. Um, Philadelphia and Miami. Which one? <laughs> which one is the biggest loser? You know, I, I go back and I think in this situation, I'm probably going to say Philly. Me too. Uh, just because of the fact that they still have James Harden on that roster. Yep. They opened camp today. Guess who didn't show? James Harden. James Harden. Yep. Um, and so I would. I think they're the they're the big loser just because of the standpoint. If you could have put Harden in some type of thing and got something, it didn't necessarily have to be Dame. Um, if it was Drew Holiday, if it was uh, even Malcolm Brogdon, to be honest with you, uh, I think that would have been huge for them. And so I would say they're, they're the big loser in this whole thing. Um, and I don't know what Miami did to make Portland mad. Uh, maybe they just didn't offer them that great of a, a deal, or maybe they were mad that Dame was trying to strong arm them into, into sending him to Miami. I, I think that's what it was. Um, they, yeah. they ended up making Miami's two biggest rivals even better. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. Um, I think Philadelphia is quite honestly the biggest loser here. Um, as you, you, everything that you said, and oh, by the way, who's turning thirty, and who is the returning MVP, and who is probably tired of this entire Philadelphia circus? He's got to be getting tired of it. And, you go with what he put out there on on Twitter, yeah. Yeah. Oh, did he put something out today? Yeah, he put something about the off season and put the LMAO after it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, he, 
<laughs> this this could be a, a very quick spiral, unfortunately, for the Sixers. Um, I'm going to put it out there. I, I really think when everything is said and done, the Sixers are going to decide to blow things up and kind of start over. I think he's going to end up in New York just because New York's like, wait a second, there's an arms race going on here in the East, and if we want to be able to do this, we're going to offer them – however many draft picks and whatever they want so we can get Joel. And I, like I said, I think he's tired of, of the nuts. Yeah. Crazy things going on there. Yeah. Yep. I agree with you there. So, um, all right. How about we, we take uh, about 10 minutes or so, Tony, let's talk about, uh, the Southeastern division, which, um, is, is an interesting group to look at. It is, um, uh, there's going to be probably one really, really bad team. And that will be your Washington Wizards. Yeah, they're the they're you know with the whole thing after they got rid of Bradley Beal, they're tanking. You know, some people had talked about they're trying to tank for LeBron and and Bronny. Oh, I had not heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, they're they're by far the the bottom of that division. Yep. Yeah, um, they are they are going to be not good. Uh, Jordan Poole is going to average 30 a game on 70 shots. Uh, you know, Kuzma is their second best player. Yeah, there's just not a lot there. So uh, they are full, and they needed to. They, you know, the old Kevin O'Connor, they needed to blow it up. They needed to get rid of Bradley Beal. They needed to get rid of uh, uh, Porzingis. They were just stuck in the, the, the middle, which is, uh, you know, kind of like where Chicago was. You know, we were talking about Chicago last week. That's where Washington was a year ago, and and it's probably time for both of them to just go full rebuild. There's no way they're going to be able to compete with, uh, you know, Boston, Milwaukee. There, there is no championship within sight for the next four to five years for either one of those franchises. So at least, yeah, blow it up. So, um, so we're done there. Uh, who'd you have in fourth, Tony? Hornets. Okay, that's who I had. But I like. The direction, the general direction that they're going, um, you know, they got to keep Lamelo Ball engaged. Uh, but Brandon Miller, um, going to be a talented rookie. See what he does. Um, PJ Washington is a nice role player. Mark Williams is a young, you know, rim running center. Uh, Gordon Hayward. Uh, the the X factor in all of this is Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges had a really good season two years ago. And then, rightfully so, was suspended the entire season last year for an awful domestic abuse uh, charges and issues, and he still got to serve a suspension this year as well. Uh, and I don't know how long the game, or I don't know how long the suspension is, but I know it's it's a it's a it's a number. Um, he's not going to come back in on opening night and start playing, uh, but he is a talented player, and and. Uh, he, you know, we'll see what he does. Plus, Lamella was out all last year. Gordon Hayward, if he could ever stay healthy, he'd be a great six-man candidate. Uh, Terry Rozier has still got a little bit of uh, gas in the tank. I think this team, again, they're not in the Celtics uh, Bucks area, but I think they're going to be better this year uh, if they can stay healthy and if Miles Bridges can kind of return back to uh, something close to what he was a couple of years ago. Do they have Kai Jones on their team? No. I thought no. he was on their team. He's, Maybe on, he's, a... he's on Washington. Tyus Jones? No, Kai Jones, K-A-I. Oh, Kai Jones. Nope. Yes. Oh, yes, he is. Sorry. 
My fault. Have you me. seen some of his stuff lately? Uh-uh, I have not. Okay. That, was, that was, That's my chemistry issue is him. He's, I, I don't know, just seems a little bit off right now. I'm not sure if there's some mental health stuff going on. Uh, oh, but, yep, yeah, yep. He's, he's definitely uh, knocking on some guys on his own team and kind of pushing himself as being the star and stuff. And I, I don't know. It might be an addition by subtraction type thing if they were to move him. Sure. Yeah, it says here he is he is away from the Hornets indefinitely due to personal reasons as no has no timetable to return. So, um, if it's Just a mental health issue, out there on social media made me maybe kind of question a few things. Yeah, yeah. If it's a mental health issue, you know, obviously we know how important that is. Take as yep. much time as you need, so forth and so on. If you're just being a knucklehead, then quit being a knucklehead. You know. So, yeah. Um, okay. Um, third place, Tony. I have Orlando. You have Orlando. Who do you got? Who do you got there? I have the Atlanta. Atlanta. I have the Atlanta Hawks. Hmm. Um, okay. Just because now I think Quinn Snyder, their whole uh, who do you who do we want to talk about first? Atlanta or or Orlando? Let's go Atlanta. Okay. Um, the 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 next half a decade is really dependent, the, the the direction of the franchise, in my mind, is very much dependent on this season and the relationship that Quinn Snyder and Trey Young have. I, I think that's what it comes down to. Um, and Trey Young has done some highlight reel stuff. Uh, he had one great playoff a couple of years ago. Against uh, the Knicks. Against the Knicks. And then a, a imploding 76ers team. Um, but is this is a five five ten five eleven point guard who really struggles to defend people? Uh, do we really pay this guy forty to forty five million dollars a year to be our centerpiece of our franchise, and that shoots it a lot and dribbles it a lot? Um, that's not a great formula for success long term in the NBA. And Quinn Snyder, uh, if Quinn Snyder can't give him to get up, give up the ball, give up some shots, and play and i'm not saying he's selfish i'm just saying he has the ball in his hands a lot um and he's a defensive liability and i, and I think their next half decade is really determined on what happens the next 82 games between trey and quinn i thought them bringing in quinn in the middle of the year i shouldn't say middle it was a little bit more towards the tail end and then yeah. him coaching the playoffs and stuff i really thought there was some progress made mm-hmm. uh, at that time i like trey um Okay, a little, you know, he has has some issues. I would agree with the ball in his hands, but he does assist a lot. I like the pairing with him and uh, Dante Murray. Yeah. Um, and then if you go through and take a look at some other things, DeAndre Hunter's a nice player. Uh, they also have uh, oh, the guy from the Rockets. Shoot, I lost oh, his Clint name Capella. real quick. What's that? Clint Capella. Clint Capella. Yeah, yeah. leads the league in rebounding. Uh, I think you know you go through. They got. Uh, Bogdanovich, who had a really good offseason for them, yep. uh, you know, as, as far as FIBA and stuff like that went. Um, they also ended up getting Wesley Matthews. I don't know if people have picked up on that yet. Then another guy that they picked up in the offseason as well was Patty Mills. Yep. And so I think Patty can really maybe take Trey under his wing and offer a little bit of veteran leadership there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, that's why I give them a little bit of edge on the Magic right now, but not much. I think there's a a few game difference between those those i just think the the hawks have more experience and they have a little bit more uh talent as of right now but mm-hmm. i could see i could see uh in the next year or two the passing of the torch to orlando who played 
really, really well second half of the season. Yeah, I uh, I love Franz Wagner, Wagner, excuse me, and and Paolo. I, I think that's just a dynamic duo, and the you know Joe Ingles is a nice, solid kind of the Patty Mills of the Orlando Magic. Um, you know, Wendell Carter Jr. is a perfect five to play along those two other forwards. That's a that's got a chance to be a really, really good front line here over the next uh, four or five years if they can. You know, and again. It's you know it's it's not the Celtics in the '80s. The salary cap and all that stuff is much different today. Uh, but but man, that, they got a chance to be really really those three guys. And then you know Markel Fultz is playing better. They drafted the the black kid from Arkansas, Anthony Black, who is I, I really like him. Uh, you know obviously he's a rookie. He's going to struggle. I still have I as as Bill Simmons would say. I still have uh, some stock in Jalen Suggs. Um, I still believe he can be a really, really good pro. Um, I don't know why he has kind of struggled a little bit as as much as he has, and, and a lot of it comes down to shooting. Uh, he just hasn't shot the ball as well as they thought that he would. But he's only 22. It's his third year in the league. Uh, I'm not ready to give up on that guy yet. Um, Cole Anthony, kind of a heat check guy coming in off the bench. Uh, so I like a lot of the things that the, the Magic have done, and I, I just feel like their trajectory, you know, Atlanta's just been kind of stagnant for two years, Tony, is the way I look at it. And and Orlando is on the upswing with a younger roster whose pieces just seem to fit together a little bit better than what Atlanta has. That's that's That was the reason for my uh, picking Orlando by a game or two above Atlanta. And I would go and, and maybe give you the other side of the coin on some stuff. You know, I just, I look at... Jalen Suggs, and I root for Jalen Suggs. I thought he had a really good freshman year at Gonzaga, but I don't. I feel like, to be honest with you, that Orlando, you aren't ready to, but I believe Orlando was ready to give up on him and to move on. Uh, Markel Fultz, you mentioned him. He's been uh, besieged by a variety of things, injuries at the top of him, uh, but I'm not sold on him. I think both Trey and Dante Murray are better than him. Sure. Um, Gary Harris is another guy in the backcourt. I'm not a big Gary Harris guy. Uh, Cole Anthony, like you said, kind of a guy who comes in. If he's hot, he's going to help you off the bench. Otherwise, you might as well sit him because he's not a great defender. Yeah. Uh, Franz and, and Paulo, love those guys. They're probably better than their counterparts in Atlanta there. Wendell Carter's a, a good fit along those guys, but I'm not hugely sold. But then you get into the bench, and I just I don't like the bench. Like, I look at their second unit. You know, we mentioned Cole Anthony. You mentioned Anthony Black. Uh, that'll We'll see. Rookie, yeah. he, he could have some upside. But then we're talking Jet Howard, who I'm still puzzled how he was a first-round pick. Me too. Joe Angles has yeah. seen better days. Um, I think his, his best years are behind him. I don't know how much gas he has in his tank. And then then you get into their, their backups. The big guys, I hope Jonathan Isaac comes back from his injury, uh, but I don't know how much they're planning on that because they just, I don't know, they don't have a great depth. And so that's why I think Atlanta yeah. um, is, is still better. And, and if they can move, make some moves, you know, maybe Jalen Suggs can get them something in the trade, help him and help them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then maybe Jonathan Isaac comes back from injury. Joe Ingles finds the fountain of youth in Orlando. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that leaves us with number one for both of us, and that would be the Miami Heat. And um, but it is a weakened Miami Heat. Um, you know, they're starting backcourt, and you know, it's it, they're, you're not gonna you're not gonna mistake it for you know some of the great backcourts in NBA history. But 
Um, you know, Gay or uh, Gabe Vincent and Max Struess both gone via free agency. Uh, Tyler Hero, um, who again, kind of Ewing theory, they they seem to play better without him in the playoffs. Um, you know, he's in. Josh Richardson, uh, Kyle Lowry is another year older. Um, Duncan Robinson got hot in the playoffs a couple of times. Uh, and, and we know Pat Riley is going to make something happen. What that is, we're not sure. Uh, but he's going to, he's going to find a way to make something happen. Uh, you know, and, and maybe that's where Malcolm Brogdon's going to end up. I really do. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the two sides are too upset with each other to make something happen. But Malcolm Brogdon needs a needs a new start, needs mm-hmm. a fresh place. And I, I don't know if Miami wouldn't be the worst for the wear down there because he could be their starting point guard, and then you could slide Hero, where I think he's a little better at, off to the wing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you now have Josh Richardson and Duncan Robinson and Kyle Lowry coming off the bench. Um, I really thought Caleb Martin played well for them. And then yep. two guys people got to keep an eye on. I like the Jaime Hawkes pick. Oh, I um, do too. Love it. I thought that was a was a great pick. And then the other one is Nikola Jovic. I think he's going to really come on and make a big jump here in year two. But I like I like both of those guys, and I don't think that they get talked about enough. What about this, Tony? What about something along these lines? Harden to Miami. Tyler Hero to Philadelphia, Philadelphia, and Brogdon fits in somehow, some way into that math. Maybe Brogdon and Tyler Hero both to Philadelphia, and some draft picks go over to Portland or something like that between Philly and, and Miami. That would that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I I just I don't know. Like I said, the whole Portland Miami. Uh, you know, it just seems like it's a little tense, a little stressful. Yeah, I don't know if they'll be able to do, but it might. A third team might have to get involved in that one. Yeah. Um, I see the Clippers going in there, but if any organization could get James Harden on the straight and narrow, it's it's the Miami Heat. <laughs> just got to keep him out of South Beach, and that's going to take some doing. <laughs> you might need. That would be like FBI, CIA, yeah. Secret Service. Yeah. That's try, like trying to keep me out of the library in college. They just couldn't do it, man. They just couldn't do it. Yeah, I've, I've heard they've named the library after you. <laughs> yeah, it's about two feet square. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> great stuff as always, Tony. Uh, I, I, you know, we had so much to cover in the Twib segment, but I, I think we did a lot. I think we covered a lot of really, really good things today. Both uh, just talking, you know, and we talked a lot about, you know, in our in our Twib segment. We, we talked a lot about roster building and fits and different things like that. And I think that's stuff that people could take from our conversation as well. It's not always necessarily about talent, but it's about fit. Roles and, and fit. Yeah, exactly. And roles. And, and like Aiden leaving Phoenix, it's about roles and fit and what's good for them. You know, Drew Holiday going to Boston, roles and fit. Dame Lillard, uh, Milwaukee feels like they need more creation in the half court well dame's gonna bring that to him so you know all of those things so even though this these twib segments are are about the the entertainment and we're just kind of talking hoops on a on a large scale here uh hopefully coaches you see that there's there's some things that you could take from those conversations as well to help your own program as well so anything else today tony yeah, the one other thing I would add here, uh, you know, you were talking about what's important in your program with the whole Doty thing, and he has what's called a performance rating index where you can give 
more weight to certain things. And I would encourage coaches with the Excel to do the performance rating index, play around with that a little bit, um, and then find those five things and figure out between, you know, you and your assistant or assistants and a manager or managers or whatever. But I, I would, I would really encourage coaches to look at that because I think it makes something a little bit more, objective that is that is pretty subjective mm-hmm. um and so I, w- I would encourage coaches to put in some time and think that thing through a little bit further yep sounds good well uh great conversation with tony as always uh we'll be back next week we'll i'm sure we'll be talking wnba finals uh maybe more nba trades and movement we'll see and and we'll we'll try to come up with a, a great uh discussion point uh to lead everything off with so Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.